Holy Spirit, you are the one who illuminates our hearts and minds. If we believe in you, it's because of the work that you have done to show us that Jesus Christ is the word, that he is the way and he's the truth and he is the life. If we have confessed our faith in you, it is because of that profound work that you have done in enabling us to embrace Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you continue that work of illumination even today, helping us to see more clearly who you are and who we are, the sin that is in our lives that we wage war on. The hope that we have in singing these songs and being reminded that you're present with us and that you're leading us and that we are in your grip. And God, we ask that you would do a work that's mighty now. That we would not receive what we are about to hear and have heard already just as information, but we would be transformed by it. And we really would live differently because of what we have seen and heard. God, we pray that it would go so deep into us that as we exit today, this sanctuary, we would be unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first trip that I took with this church to East Asia, to a communist country, was the first time in my life I think I recorded on video regeneration taking place. Regeneration is when a person is, is coming to faith, they're being saved. It's redemption, it's the story of rescue. I was holding a videotape, a video camera. We didn't have iPhones yet, it was a little bit bigger than that. And I'm, I'm, I'm filming a class of students listening to our students, our high school students, just simply talk about American holidays. And the holiday we were talking about was Christmas. And the classroom had been decorated, as you can imagine, with typical American Christmas decor. Santa was everywhere, Christmas trees had been put up, Christmas bulbs, Christmas music was playing. And the high school students from this church began to speak about how we celebrate Christmas. And after the one story was told about St. Nick and the sleigh and the toys, they then went to the other story of Christmas, the story that causes us to gather on Christmas Eve, the story really we speak about every Sunday, and that is of Jesus Christ, the incarnate. And there were shepherds, and there was a manger scene, part of it live, part of it art being held up. And this one student, this young woman from our church, began to tell that story. And I was videotaping the expression on the face of the students. And they were so, so locked in, intensely listening to every word. And then when she finished, one student, his American name is Jason, raised his hand politely and said, and you believe this is true? Speaking of the story of Jesus Christ. Next to him, one row over, one seat back, was a little Asian girl, 
probably 16. Her name, American name was Tina. And as he asked the question just up and to the left of her on videotape, as he asked, and you believe this is true to the speaker, she was shaking her head. And later that day, she prayed with one of our students for salvation, true salvation in the name of Jesus. I want you to think for a moment about all that happened there. If the Holy Spirit hadn't moved, if the Holy Spirit hadn't illuminated her heart, if the Holy Spirit hadn't illuminated the heart of the high school student from this church, from this city, to proclaim that which is true, that wouldn't have been said. That message wouldn't have been given. That question wouldn't have been asked. Tina became a Christian. She became part of this community. She became part of the community that's receiving this letter from this preacher giving this pastoral care to this little Hebrew church. Church, we have a letter called Hebrews. She became a sister to all those that Hebrew 11 is speaking about. And soon she would have a new brother and his name was Jason. Jason would come to faith three weeks later while here in America, once again hearing the gospel again, asking one of our youth interns, Russ Whitfield, to help him answer the profound questions that he had. It's a remarkable ministry, witnessing the Holy Spirit at work. These students had never heard these truths. And when they heard these truths, you must understand that what was going on in their hearts and mind is one, is it true? And so he asked. And when he saw that the Spirit of God was alive in the person who answered that question with the yes, he was drawn to that. He was drawn to the living God. She was drawn to the living God. But also going on in their back of their minds is, what is this going to cost me? This is not what I've been taught. This is not how I've been raised. I've been taught to believe in self, not in God. If I'm going to believe in a God, it's Buddha, not Jesus. And that's going to be really just social. In the future, only a few years, I would see the reality of that battle going on in a young man. His English name is John. And John wanted to become a Christian. He said to me in the cafeteria of that school, I believe in what you were saying. And so I said to him, would you like to pray? Asking Jesus to save you from your sins. And he said, I cannot. I cannot because of who my father is and who he is in this government. And if it was discovered that I had become a Christian, he would be put in prison. And my family would no longer have the means to live the life that we need to live. This young man, 17 years old, was battling the reality of what it would cost to say, I believe. These are real people at a real place, at a real time, confronted with the truth of the gospel, coming to a place where they had to make a decision because the decision was before them. Will I believe or will I not believe? There is a cost to believing and there is a cost, a great cost to not believing. The stories that we have heard this summer are all true. 
And they are all about a people, a place, and a time. This small house church is a group of people at a particular place that exists on this earth where they were gathering. Think that way for a minute. This letter written by a pastor, it's really a sermon, was read to them. And it was being read to them because they were being faced with the question, do we or do I want to continue to follow the one who is called the way, Jesus Christ? Because if I say yes, there is going to be great loss and cost to what it means to be a believer. And so this skilled and godly preacher brings them to this wonderful climax in the letter, coming to an end. And he gives them the stories of all of these saints. And the stories are given to the saints for profound reasons, I, I promise, much deeper than we know, to give them encouragement. So as the preacher is coming to the end of his sermon, which is really right before us now, he is telling them, look back. Look back at the faithfulness of God. Look back at the faithfulness of God and the promises that he's made. Be encouraged as you look back. And so they did. At his leading, these individuals look back at all the saints that have been listed. And then the preacher is coming to an end and he says, what more do I need to say? I don't have time to continue to tell you the stories of, and it goes on and on. And then he comes to these closing words that we have in 39 and 40 and then continued into verse 12. He says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What does that mean? You see, they received many promises. And God met those promises. He answered those promises. Time and time again, as you read these stories, you see the faithfulness of God. But as they look back at those saints, what they see is that those saints were looking forward. Those saints were looking forward to the promises of God being answered, but specifically one big promise. And that big promise that was not yet fulfilled while they were still living was a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so as the saints of this little house church are being called to look back at the saints that have just been presented before them, what they see is that all those saints were looking forward to the one true redeemer, the one true rescuer, Jesus Christ. And each of them died before that promise was fulfilled. Hmm. They died, but they died looking forward, trusting in the promise of God, the God who had faithfully been so, so fulfilling his promises continually. And so as this little house church looks back, what do they see? They see a people looking forward. What the preacher of Hebrews has been saying the whole time is, as you look back, now remember, that promise has been fulfilled. There's something better. Jesus has come. 
He was here not that long ago. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's coming again. So what this preacher is saying is that as we look back, we find encouragement from those who are looking forward. Now, living this side of heaven, we look back not so far to what Jesus has done, but we're also looking forward because Jesus came and he's coming again. They don't know when. They didn't know when. We don't know when, but we know he is, right? And when he does come, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This preacher, this godly preacher, we don't know who he was, gives these words of encouragement. Look back. And by looking back, you'll see that they were looking forward. They were looking forward to the promise of the coming Messiah. He has come. Look back at his coming and now look forward to his future coming. Why? Because all of that focus, all of that looking helps us be the people God's calling us to be right now, present. Think about it for a moment. What did this little group of Christians have in common with those saints that this preacher was presenting before them in the hall of faith? Three things real, real quickly, just listen. Number one, like the saints, they were living at a time when people were hostile to God and to those who believed in God. All of the people paraded before us were living in times that were hostile to God and hostile to those who believed in God, just like this little house church. Secondly, they were living at a specific moment when their faith was being tested or was about to be tested. And in that moment, they had to wrestle in their soul with whether or not they were going to say, I do believe, even to death. And this writer, this little letter to this little church, warns them of what's coming. So they're living in a hostile time. They're living in a time when their faith is being called into question. Those two things they have in common, but there's another one. And this is what I've been bringing the last two weeks. Like the saints before them, they had the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this little church receives this little and powerful sermon, calling them to look back at those who are not that much different, who also lived in hostile times, who also had their faith called in question, who were covered with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So my friends, what about us? As we open the word of God to this little book called Hebrews, what do we have in common with them? We too are living at a time where the world is hostile to God and those who profess faith in him especially, specifically, Jesus. We are at a time when we know we will be tested regarding our faith, and it's only going to get harder. But like all the saints presented here, 
We have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, the same Spirit that spoke to Samuel and said, anoint David king, the same Spirit that spoke to David as king, the same Spirit that we saw last week that clothed Gideon in power. If you are a Christian, you have the presence of God in you and the Holy Spirit's power manifest inside you and through you. Let's take a breath for a minute. Last week I said that clothing is important, and it is. Taking this look from Judges 6 and Gideon's story, I'm just impressed throughout this hall of faith how profoundly present the Holy Spirit is in each of their stories. It says that Gideon was clothed by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I pause long enough to think that the same God and the same Holy Spirit that was clothing him in power is clothing me, it really begins to change the way I'm thinking about everything. Everything. Clothes matter. I learned that clothes matter in seventh grade. I wanted to change my image. And so I did. This is a dangerous thing to have an older brother and an older sister who are in style and you're not. And so all of my friends and I gathered for the first day of school. All my friends wore jeans and t-shirts, very casual, but I was ready for a new image, a new look, clothes matter. I put on the outfits that my mom and I went to buy together. And that's the first problem. I had a, an array of colored corduroys with polo style shirts that matched perfectly. Every color, every pattern. And so on the first day of seventh grade, I put on my chocolate brown cords and a chocolate brown knit polo shirt. And I looked good. <laughs> I felt it, I had swagger. I moved through the campus to the right place I saw the popular girls led by one of my childhood friend's older sister, and I knew I was safe. And I walked right up to her, full of glory. <laughs> Hi, Penny. Penny stopped, looked at me and said, nice shirt, nice shoes. And she was right. It's kind of what my brother was wearing, and he was in high school and so much cooler. Nice shirt. Nice shoes. I'm sorry, nice shirt, nice pants. And then she said, nice shoes. And they all erupted in laughter. And I felt naked. I felt exposed. I felt humiliated. Because I didn't know shoes mattered. I didn't know that a pair of red, white, and blue sneakers didn't go with chocolate brown cords and a chocolate brown shirt. I was so close, but I just missed it. My friends, it's a silly story, 
that really was painful to live through, to be honest. But it illustrates something very important to me. You people in Christ Jesus are clothed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Yet, we have missed it. We, we speak of him. We think of him. We're familiar with the words about him. But we are not living the way we ought to be living in the freedom and the power of who is living inside us, who is guiding us, who is protecting us. My friend, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit. If you want to battle sin in your life and you want to see it destroyed, you do so because of the Holy Spirit. And so this summer, I came across a quote about the Holy Spirit from one of my favorite preachers, and not just mine, Charles Spurgeon. And as I read this paragraph or two, I was reminded of something John Piper once said. He said, books don't change people's lives. Paragraphs do. And the paragraph that Spurgeon preached and then was recorded in a book called Holy Spirit Power began to really work on my soul this summer. I'm going to read it to you. And I want to warn you that as I read it, some of you are going to be tempted to type in later today, mark.davis at pcpc.org, because what he says is provocative, but we need to hear it. So be patient with it, because it's true. Spurgeon, preaching from Ezekiel 36, 27, which says, I will put my spirit within you, says this. Is it really true that the spirit of God who displays the power and energetic force of God by whom God's word is carried into effect, who moved upon the face of the waters and brought order out of life and from chaos and death, is it true that he is the one who lowers himself to reside in men? question. Then he moves on. God in our nature is a very wonderful conception. He's speaking now of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of the incarnation. God in our nature is a very wonderful conception. God in the babe at Bethlehem, God in the carpenter of Nazareth, God in the man of sorrows, God in the crucified, and God in him who was buried in the tomb. This is all marvelous, miraculous. The incarnation is an infinite mystery of love, but we believe it. Yet, if it were possible, to compare one great wonder with another, I would say that God's dwelling in his people, and that repeated 10,000 times over, is more marvelous. That the Holy Spirit should dwell in millions upon millions of redeemed men and women is a miracle not surpassed by that of our Lord's adoption of human nature. 
And I drew a line next to that paragraph and I wrote, wow. I've never heard somebody say something like that. What is he saying? Spurgeon is saying that he thinks that the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in every Christian millions of times over is a greater miracle than Jesus Christ becoming man. Does that get your attention? It should. Why would he say something like that? Well, let me tell you why I think he said it. I think he said it because the congregation he was leading had missed it. We do not need to spend time comparing whether or not the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Christ becoming man, is a greater miracle than the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as Christians. We do not need to debate that. We do not need to consider. You know why? It's a waste of time. They're both miracles. They're both great miracles. The fact that God would send his son, that Christ would become man, that he would walk upon this earth, that he would live and die for us, be raised from the dead, and then reign as king and wait to come is, is a miracle. It's our salvation. But it's also a miracle that the Holy Spirit is living inside me and inside you if you're in Christ. I think Spurgeon's point was this. We believe in the first miracle. And we celebrate it. Think about Advent. But we don't live believing deeply in the second. And we should. Can I show you what I mean? Think of Advent last, last Christmas. The sermons, the singing, the pageantry, the beauty. They're pretty amazing. And it will be this year too. When was Pentecost? What did I preach? What did we sing? It should be elevated because of the miracle that's living inside us. D.A. Carson, in a book titled The Cross and Christian Ministry, said this, if we see the truth of the gospel it has nothing to do with our brilliance or our insight. It has to do with the Spirit of God, capital S, Holy Spirit. If we should express unqualified gratitude to God for the gift of his Son, we should express no less gratitude to God for the gift of the Spirit who enables us to grasp the gospel of his son. And he's right. And Spurgeon is right. The Holy Spirit is God. The person of the Holy Spirit, Christian, is living inside you. The person of the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminated your heart and mind to even believe the truths about the incarnate, the Son of God. Jesus said to his disciples, men, it is better for you that I leave. How could it be better? How could it be better that the perfect man, the perfect friend, God, whom they walked with for three years, would leave? Because he said, if I don't leave, 
the helper will not come. My friends, the helper came. And the helper is in every believer. You and me. All the saints of the past. And he'll be in all the saints of the future. And you know what he's doing? He is continuing to illuminate the radiance of Jesus Christ, our glorious King. And he is doing a work that only he can do. And when I, as a people, I said that that way on purpose. At a specific place like this, and at a specific time like this, I'm confronted with whether or not I believe or don't believe. The Holy Spirit is at work, enabling me to see that Jesus Christ is everything. Everything. And that leads me to praise our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Back to last week. What would happen if we really believed in the miracle of the Holy Spirit living in us? He has clothed you with power. He is present in you if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then today is a moment for you. A time and a place where someone is asking, do you believe in Jesus? If you want to talk about that, you can send me an email. Or you can come and see me right now. Or you can meet with our elders and prayer leaders in the parlor. Because it's very possible that you're here because the Holy Spirit is at work illuminating your heart and your mind. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving us this gift. Father, thank you for when you sent your son, he would teach us about the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, fill this place and enable us to sing what we believe, that it is a love for Jesus Christ born out of this work, this Spirit's work. And may we bring you the right praise and glory. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.